electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Sieber, Brian Kelly, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin futures on the CBOE taking the market by storm this week as Wall Street gets ready for it to come to the next exchange, the CME, on Sunday. And just moments ago, TD Ameritrade announced they will allow Bitcoin futures trading on Monday. The future is here. Brian Kelly will tell you everything you need to know ahead of the big launch. And it's the last day of Bitcoin week here on Fast, but don't worry, we've got something bigger in store for next week. And in the meantime, you can track how much money uh, you are making by the minute with the Bitcoin bug via Coinbase right now on your screen. Plus, the other big story this week, Disney closing its deal to buy parts of Fox. The vice chairman of Lionsgate, Michael Burns, is here to weigh in on the media mayhem. Could his company be the next takeout target? And what does he think of AT&T's bid for Time Warner? But first, we start with what all of Wall Street is waiting for. Tax cuts were just moments away from the release of the tax bill. So let's check in with Eamon Javers in D.C. for the very latest details. Eamon. Yeah, hi, Melissa. The big reveal coming up at 5.30 this afternoon. A lot of lobbyists across Washington on pins and needles here for the last 29 minutes or so, uh, waiting to see whether their particular measure uh, got in or out of the final bill, which will be released at 5.30 Eastern time. We do know there were some major developments today, including two key senators who came off the fence and said they're going to vote yes. That's Marco Rubio, who apparently got much of what he wanted, or at least enough of what he wanted on the child tax credit and Senator Bob Corker, who was the only no vote in the Senate last time around. He's a yes this time around, he says. So that indicates that uh, the White House should be feeling pretty good about all this. And in fact, the White House is feeling pretty good about all this. Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, putting out a statement a little while ago thanking uh, Senator Corker from the president himself, saying the president greatly appreciates Senator Corker's phone call and pledge to support tax cuts. He sees a great entrepreneurial spirit being released in our country, and he is part of that spirit. When these massive tax cuts and incentives kick in, jobs and growth will follow at a very high level. So the White House, enthused by the progress that they've seen so far today, it looks like, Melissa, they will have the votes in the United States Senate to pass this bill. Of course, it's not over until the voting actually happens. That will begin on Tuesday, likely with the House of Representatives going first. Remember, once this bill is conferenced, both the House and the Senate have to pass it again. So the House will vote first on Tuesday, then the Senate. The expectation is Republicans have the votes here. One possible hiccup to watch, though, Senator John McCain, his health uh, has not been good this week. He's been in the hospital. Uh, that's one potential issue that could arise. Any a number of other issues could also arise. So it's not over until it's over, but people here are starting to use words like all wrapped up and clinched to describe the Republicans and the votes here on the Senate tax bill. Okay. Eamon, thanks. Thanks a lot. Eamon Javers in D.C. So it looks like full speed ahead on tax cuts and the euphoria starting to seep into the market here. The Dow <laughs> surging triple digits today. All three of the major indices closing at record highs. And with just 10 days until Christmas, could we see Dow 25,000 before the 25th? Tim. Ah, well, I'll tell you what. 
I know Steve loves Mariah Carey, so I should almost let him Who talk. Doesn't? But, but, <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? If you think about what happened this week, which will probably be crowned in a few minutes, um, you had an enormous retail sales numbers, two times what we thought was going to come in. You had GDP in Japan, which was very high. You had uh, a European PMI composite, which was uh, the best in seven years. You've had data, data, data to support GDP upgrades, and now we have this. And I think, frankly, if you think about the implications for this sector by sector, banks look the best. Consumer discretionary looks probably the best to benefit on an EPS basis from mm -hmm. a from a corporate tax cut. But there's a lot of revisions that are going to now come through from the street because a lot of folks were waiting around for this. And I think they had to. And here we are. Right. right. So we're going to revisions higher on earnings, which right. had already been looking pretty good. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it's like almost like you look at it and say ETF mode right now. You can buy almost anything and it's going to get that benefit. I think what happens is as it starts to work in, you look at the individual deductions, you say to yourself, what's actually going to fall to the bottom line for individual companies? So what are CFOs doing now that's creative and how does this tax you know, rate actually affect their business and their in their company. Also, think about this. I mean, there's going to be certain, there's very competitive, a lot of competitive pressures. There will be price cuts to compete that may not show up in this. So when you look at a, whatever percent tax cut, there's price cuts that are going to be competitive, you know, sort of pressures that are going to not necessarily what translate. What do you mean by price cuts? So, for instance, there's so much competition within retail right now. You look at Macy's or a JWN. Uh -huh. These are companies that are going to benefit because they're U.S.-centric. They've got a right. massive tax. So you say so that you they're going to see cut prices there further be pr because they have a lower tax rate? Competition because, no, they have a lower tax rate that will allow them to cut prices to actually compete more. So I think that could be a very interesting thing. So along the line, you're going to start to see company-by-company company investigation on this stuff. So it's going to bankroll promotions in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 you could almost buy anything. It, uh, I, I agree with that part of it. I think you can almost buy anything, with the exception of energy. Energy today was the, was the red, was the lone yeah. laggard, the red zone. And mm -hmm. there's nothing that seems to have the ability to ra rally the spot. You watch oil. Everyone keeps watching oil. Saudi Aramco. Oil actually looks okay. It looks constructive here. It looks like it wants to take a run at, at 60 WTI. But the underlying, the subsector, seems like it can't get, a, get out of its own way. And I think retail, we had this debate the last time. I think retail has been so much factored in on the negative side that it can't help but lift into, into year end. You had so much going on today. You had options expiration. Account for huge volume. But what did they come to buy at the end of the day? They came to buy uh, large cap tech and financials. So when Tim's opened up the show, starting to talk about tax policy and everyone's waiting to price this in, there's no way to price it in truly until you get really the nuts and bolts of it. We're not going to get that to next week. Guys cannot get in front of this because they know no matter how you slice it, it's a boon for any corporation. That's right. I, I agree with that, Steve, <clears throat> to a point. I mean, how, how can you not price in right now banks, which, first of all, have falling regulatory environment for them anyway? Uh, GDP is going higher in the back of this. You're basically implying that. Um, it's, it's universally good for banks. And, and right. You just haven't known, you just haven't you known the corporate tax rates that they're really going to see, whether it's a hybrid account, whether it's international S&P or whether it was Russell. You didn't know whether you were going to get a blended tax rate or whether you were going to get a U.S.-centric tax rate. Either way you slice it, this has become softer, more hawkish for companies going forward, more bullish. Well, as much as BK is hardwired to be a contrarian <laughs> and this bullishness is just driving him crazy, I actually have to agree with everybody. I mean, it's going to be very hard to get a sell-off in this market. It was last week that I was worried that the economic news had topped out, at least on a, on a sentiments factor. 
it looks like it's getting better. So where do you want to be? You want to continue to be in the banks. You continue to like Goldman Sachs. They're going to do well in this environment. You probably want to hedge your portfolio by buying TBT. I know it's not the best product out there, but what I'm saying is you've got to expect that rates are probably going to go a little bit higher uh, in this environment. So if rates go higher, that's probably a drag on stocks at some point, not next week, but that's your hedge there. So that's how I would look at it. Also, I think yesterday we talked about buying the IWM on that dip. I still think you can do it on this momentum. Yeah, what I would say on the IWM, and, I, and I, I at times I've used this as a short proxy, one of the things that you, you have to do, and this is something I've done with the IWM, is you have to reassess what's changed. What has changed here is that we really do have tangible tax reform that we, I, I think a lot of people, I, I sat on this desk a couple months ago and said I didn't think they're getting anything done by year end, therefore I think we priced a lot into IWM. Um, when you think about the investment that, you know, if you see surveys this week also, CFOs were basically saying we are now about to reinvest in our business and spend CapEx. That's, that's enormously helpful to small businesses, because in many cases, those are the guys that are actually going to be doing that work. So you can still buy it? I, I think you I would, can. IWM. I think you can. I would rather be in financials, and I would rather be uh -huh. in discretionary. Seabrook, what would you do today? Yeah, I mean, discretionary. I actually took profits in some discretionary names. I mean, I look at it. Why? They're going to benefit here's so the thing, much and from I, the and I, I do plan. think they will benefit, but again, it comes down <laughs> and to... And the strongest ones should benefit from the other ones cutting already. prices, they, because they're stronger and can, they've can win. they benefited already to, to a very large extent, and I'll tell you this. Burlington stores, we talk about all the time, has the fundamentals that support the strength here. We'll continue to move taxes, you know, no taxes, but well, no taxes we've got. No taxes, they'll continue to move, but the fundamentals are supporting the story here. You look at a Macy's, Macy's business, you know, is completely still in secular decline, in my opinion. So the tax bump's going to help them, but I do believe that's a struggling What would you say to Macy's brand, story. not to get caught and lost in the weeds now, here, I, I think apologize, that, but what I, would you say Macy's brand is where it went from below $6 billion market cap, it, middle, middle sevens, do you think it's worth more than seven? Or not? No, it's it, very simple. It, is it, is it, it twenty twenty billion dollars? You know, I, I don't. I not. I don't know. I don't know the answer okay. to that. But I will tell you that I think the stock is really at the point where it should be sold. I do not think there's a lot more juice to the upside. Quickly, what did you do today? Uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, no. What's that? Oh, you mean in stocks? You mean in stocks? In Actually, stocks. So Bitcoin for me, later. I put my money where my mouth is. Goldman Sachs off of that two fifty five level. That's where you want to be long. All right, coming up, Lionsgate on the attack. The stock soaring more than 35% from its 52-week lows. Could the company be the next media takeout target? The vice chairman of Lionsgate, Michael Burns, joins us right after the break. Plus, Bitcoin bonanza rages on. Bitcoin futures heading to its second exchange this weekend, the CME. Brian Kelly will tell you everything you need to know ahead of the big launch. And later, there's a Dow stock that one of our traders says is about to take off. We'll tell you the name and how high it could go. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money on the heels of the Disney-Fox deal. What a week it has been for the media stocks. On top of that, mega-merger veteran investor John Malone doubled down on a stock that could be part of the next wave of consolidation. Let's get to Julia Borson for that story. Hi, Julia. Hello, Melissa. That's right. On Wednesday, the chairman of Liberty Media and Discovery board member John Malone more than doubled his direct holdings of Discovery, paying about $6.6 million for over 330,000 shares. This is a move he hinted at on CNBC a few weeks ago. You also look at it and say, outside the U.S., they grew almost 10 percent EBITDA this year. I don't see anything negative going on outside the U.S. Inside the U.S., I think they grew 5 percent this year, better than any of their peers, right? So I look at it, you know, and to me, it looks cheap. You're going to buy you're buying more? Well, I, I would possibly buy more. Discovery is in the midst. 
Discovery is in the midst of its own merger in the process of completing its acquisition of Scripps, and the shares are down dramatically over 20% since the deal was announced at the end of July. You see the stock uh, was up today after that news of Malone. Now, the company, which also owns Animal Planet, the Food Network, and OWN, has been struggling with declining subscribers to traditional TV bundles, and it recently partnered with Viacom and others to launch a sports-free bundle called Philo. And now on the heels of Disney's Fox acquisition, analysts are speculating for a potential new wave of media consolidation, especially among the smaller of the public media companies, such as Lionsgate, AMC Networks, Viacom, and of course, Discovery. Now, Discovery could be a target because of its international strength, the kind of content that appeals to a different number of passionate audiences, from DIY fans to Oprah Winfrey's dedicated fan base. Of course, guys, when I talked to David Zaslav a few weeks ago, he predicted consolidation. He also did not rule out that he would end up selling Discovery. Back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, Julia Borston. Our next guest says the Disney Fox deal is good news for him. Let's welcome Michael Burns, vice chairman of Lionsgate. Michael, welcome to the show again. Good to see you. Melissa, nice to see you again. And I, as I promised, I'm here before the end of the year. You did promise, and you're good on your word, Michael, as always. I um, want to ask you about why this deal would be good for you, because, you know, James Murdoch, in, thinking, in, in talking about the strategy behind the deal, was talking about scale um, and studio. The share of the box office would go to 20 percent, and you're at about 9 percent or so. Do they have any advantage by having that scale? Okay. I think the deal is good for us. It's a, uh, it cer certainly validates content, uh, for sure. I think Lionsgate actually thrives in chaos. And uh, you're in a place right now where you're going to see serious consolidation out there. And uh, so I think the deal, and obviously from a competitor standpoint, you have a different comp uh, one less competitor in the marketplace. And uh, so I think that those three things are all good for us. But getting back to the scale, do they have any advantage by having 20 percent share of the U.S. domestic box office? Or does that not matter when it comes to production of movies on the studio side of things? I don't think it matters. I think uh -huh. that if if uh, Bob Iger, who I am a giant fan of and is uh, key deal guy, Kevin Mayer, I think that if they stick to the plan that they've sort of uh, orchestrated over the years, they're about big brands. So if I were going to guess, and again, I don't have a crystal ball. You're, uh, you had John Malone on a little while ago, and I think he's the only guy that I know with a crystal ball. But if I were going to guess, I would think that they will stick to the big franchises, the movies that they can promote in their theme parks. I would guess that the combination of Disney and Fox uh, will have less big, wide releases combined that come out every year than the two as separate companies. Mm. Uh, when it comes to thinking about how Disney can launch an OTT offering sometime next year and how this could strengthen that offering, how does that impact Lionsgate in terms of the distribution of your contact, content, not just from the movie side, but on the TV side as well? Well, don't forget, we are, I said this, all, you know, beaten it to death, but we're a benevolent arms dealer. Mm -hmm. So I think it will actually strengthen Hulu. I think Hulu will become a bigger buyer. We are obviously a very big supplier. That's the reason that Kevin Baggs and team have 90 shows on 45 different platforms. So I think that'll be good for us to have a, a strength in Hulu uh, in the marketplace. We're obviously providing content to places like Amazon. We have a show uh, that we're going to be launching soon. You'll see the first episode when they announce the date, with, which is uh, with YouTube Red. We have uh, uh, a step up. Uh, we have a, a show already on Hulu, and obviously we've got a couple big hits on Netflix. Mm -hmm. We're a big supplier to, uh, to Showtime. We have Dear White People, which we're really excited about. So it goes on and on. Yep. But again, another strengthened buyer is good for us. All right, let's switch gears here. AT&T, Time Warner, are you for or against the deal? Well, we've, we think that there are some issues there. 
uh, we have been uh, we've been uh, uh, we've obviously been approached by uh, the regulators and we've given our view, which is the issue is we don't want to put them in a position where they've got the incentive uh, to uh, to uh, to hurt places like uh, uh, or, or uh, uh, other channels like stars uh, when they fold in HBO in an ownership position. So uh, uh, we're more than an interested party. So you're against it. Um, against, uh, I, I guess I would through. tell you that, uh, I guess what I would say is that uh, what's most important to us is to make sure that we, uh, if approved, are treated fairly. And, and if we're not going to be, uh, if we're not going to be treated fairly, then of course we'd be against it. Will you be part of the case that the Justice Department is putting together? You know, I've been, you know, it's funny, I've been given a lot of uh, uh, warnings about not talking about uh, whether we're a potential witness and all that. So I can't say right now. Okay, Michael, we're going to have to leave it there. It's always great to speak with you. If we don't see you, have a have a great New Year. Merry Christmas to everybody. Merry nice Christmas to, speak with to you. you. And, if, and, and Melissa, if you haven't yeah. gone to see Wonder, go see it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'll try. Michael, thanks a lot. Michael oh, Burns, the vice chairman of Lionsgate. Tim? Well, Michael, big fan of the show. Glad he mm -hmm. kept his promise. Um, he's underscored a couple of things. Content is now maybe king again. Uh, also talked about the Stars Hulu deal, which I think gives these guys, as he said, benevolent arms dealer. Ultimately, these guys are also getting a lot of data on who their customers are that they can use for other TV shows. I am very bullish on the stock at this phase, and it's massively outperformed the sector. So ahead, we're just moments away from the release of that all-important tax bill. We will head down to D.C. for the very latest and how to trade it. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's just Bitcoin. And something's about to happen this Sunday that could set it on fire. We'll tell you what that is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Procter & Gamble. Let's get to Bertha Coombs for the details. Hi, Bertha. Yeah, that Procter & Gamble shareholder vote from last October has finally been certified, Melissa. And uh, P&G says that it will award a seat to Nelson Peltz. They said that under the certified count, the results were very, very close, uh, particularly between Ernesto Cedillo, who is one of the board members who was reelected, and Nelson Peltz. Peltz, who uh, received almost 50% of shares voted. As a result, they say they are going to give Mr. Peltz a board seat starting next March 1st, 2018. And they've had numerous discussions with him regarding that. They've agreed not to uh, take on excessive leverage uh, or substantially reduce R&D spending uh, or advocate for a breakup of the company. That note coming from David Taylor, the board chair. Back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Bertha Coombs. So a certified victory for Nelson Peltz at this point. Grasso? I, I think, as you said, the operative word there is certified victory. Uh, it's up 9% year to date. The XL, XLP Staples in ETF is up 11%. I still think there's room to climb a little higher and probably for the whole entire staple space. All right. Shifting gears here. TD Ameritrade, one of the largest online brokers, announcing in the last hour that they will offer CBOE-listed Bitcoin futures starting Monday. Now, this comes as the CME is gearing up to launch its own version of Bitcoin futures Sunday. So uh, as of now, TD will offer only the CBOE listed futures. So how will the CME's new product differ from the CBOE's offering? BK's over at the Plasma to break it all down. Hey, Beeks. Hey, so let's do it. So here we are. We've got CME futures. What's going to be the difference between these? First of all, CME trades a lot more futures products, more futures trader there. So I would expect heavier volume on this. Secondly, 
bigger contract size. It's five Bitcoin versus one Bitcoin. So this will likely be more of an institutional product at this point. So you're going to have bigger ticket sizes in there. And finally, I would expect an increased volatility. Remember last weekend, everybody thought that Bitcoin was going to sell off because the futures were coming and global macro funds were going to sell it short. Exact opposite happened. It ripped up 20%. So I'd expect underlying volatility in the spot market this weekend. So now, if you want to trade this, let's go to the tape and let's, let's go to the... We will uh, go to the tape and we're going to look at how we're going to trade the futures, okay? So last week I talked about the one contract size. So here's Bitcoin here. You've seen that we've had this rip up here and we're kind of in a range right now, right? So 1755. So my trade for this is you want to buy the futures about 17600. Let's say it's, it's Sunday night. You always want to have a stop when you're dealing with futures. So we'll put our stop down at about 17300. That's going to be... 200 points, five contracts, $1,000. Now, my target is still up above 2,100. Let's call it 2,160 for easy math. That's uh, 4,000 4, points times five. That's 20,000. So if you want to trade one contract, you can make 20,000 on the upside, lose 1,000 on the downside. But remember, that's a pretty tight stop there, so you might get stopped out quickly. This is going to be very volatile. There's our profits and losses. You can see up to 21.8, you make some nice profits, but always have your stop in. I mean, this is the kind of trade beaks, right? You can't put this in and walk away from your, from your computer, no. and that's that. This is the deep yeah. end of the pool, and, right. and I really have to make it clear. If you, you need to make sure you have a stop in futures because they can get away from you. You're using leverage. It's a five, contract, uh, five Bitcoin contract. This is the deep end of the pool. We were worried about the CBOE's launch. This is going to be, as BK points out, much heavier volume because the CME is just a bigger player. What should we be worried about? Or should we be more worried on Monday about what happens? I, look, I, I think one more player into the mix is only a good thing. I think you're, you're actually going to start to see a little bit more institutional volume. I don't think you're going to see necessarily anything uh, that dramatic than what we've seen. But it's, it's interesting how every time you get a new, essentially, vehicle or conduit or proxy play uh, for Bitcoin, you get another nice bounce in it, which to me uh, means you want to be playing for the next one of those, not for Bitcoin. All right, time for the final trade. Around the horn we go, Tim. Yeah, we're talking about industrial names. Airlines, I think, have a lot of room to run. Go Latin America, Copa Airlines. Match MTCH is a name that's got some great free cash flows. This stock that we don't hear for the long haul. BK Brian Kelly. So at the beginning of the show, I talked a little bit about financials. Maybe rates going up. They're going to do well. So look at Silicon Valley Bank, a little smaller bank, one we don't always talk about. But not only do you get the bank trade, but you also get some of the innovation that's going on in Silicon Valley. Grasso. Do you remember when I looked at Avis budget and I said it was a double? Yeah, yeah. All right. At that least you at, said. That was at $35. I said it's going to 70 bucks. It's trading at $44 now. It's getting there. Chugga, chugga, choo-choo. Right. <laughs> that does it for us here on Fast Money. Uh, catch us back here Monday at 5 Eastern, but do not move. We're expecting the final details of the tax bill in just a few minutes. Options action will be all over it right after this break. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. 
We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.